you made it to level two, deeper questions leading to deeper answers. I'm Tomas Garza, and I'm here to help you decide to transform. I'll be setting the pace for the process to support your unfolding. Learn and commit to a practice that brings simplicity and an awareness of what is ready to be released. Join me now and allow the experience of a deeper sense of love. Welcome everyone to Decide to Transform. I'm your host, Tomas Garza, and I've got a wonderful, very special interview in store for you today. My guest today is Richard Riemann, and I will read a little bit about Richard. This is a conversation that I think is going to stimulate challenge and activate your imagination. That's what we're going for today on Decide to Transform. So Richard, as a child, wanted to be Superman. He couldn't fly. So he decided to be Clark Kent instead and had a long and successful career as a radio news reporter and anchor. Richard then became the audiobook wizard narrating and producing hundreds of audiobooks and authoring the award-winning book, The Author's Guide to Audiobook Creation. To fill a gap in the audiobook world, Richard founded Imagination Video Books, a nonprofit that creates audiobooks for blind and low vision children, which include audio description of the wonderful illustrations. Now, this is going to be a lot of fun. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Telmas. Great to be here. It's really wonderful to, to have you. And there are so many questions that come up for me. And I know that the listeners are going to be interested in imagination video books and audiobook creation and the children's component. But let's start from the start here. As a child, okay. you wanted to be Superman, but you couldn't fly. Yeah, would you walk us through a little bit about that? I was a huge comic book fan um, and also uh, discovered uh, how to read through comic books and that the library existed. I was amazed. My sister took me to the library for the first time when I was, I think, five. And we walked in, you know, it's this huge library at least it seemed so at the time, three levels of books everywhere. And my sister said, Kathy said, and you can take five out for free. And I was like amazed. All right. So I discovered the library and reading and wanted to, uh, to be a writer. Um, so in second grade, I became a professional writer. I wrote stories uh, about my classmates a notebook paper, two sides, and I charged them a nickel to read them. And because their names were in them, they were, they were eager to find out what it was about. And that's how I got my comic book money. So yes, that's, that's how, how everything began. I love this. Uh, what that the image that that brings to mind is from Peanuts, psychiatric help, five cents with Lucy <laughs> yeah. as the psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for those of you under 30, we can look that up, Peanuts. So, right. Right. Yeah. And so you, you charge them five cents to read and you were in second grade. 
Yes, okay. I, I was I was a professional author uh, at age seven or eight. I forget uh, which one, but I was always interested and fascinated in finding out more about the world than the one that existed around me, um, which is a lesson for people now because the world is so small yeah. right now yeah. that um, looking beyond that. Uh, is so important to know that there is a huge universe out there of things to learn about, uh, things to know. And so I really was so curious that I had to become a reporter because that way you find out about so many things, an incredible number of things. Um, of course, you know, your knowledge is an inch deep and a mile wide uh, because you're only touching on subjects a little bit here and there. Yes. But, uh, you know, that's why I decided to go into journalism. Okay. Well, and how did you start out in your, your journalistic career? Where were you? Uh, well, the first thing I did was get kicked off my high school newspaper um, mm. I, I was, uh, I was very critical of the editor, uh, because okay. she wanted me to write stories about, uh, the prom decorations and, you know, the, the sports teams and things in high school. And I wanted to write about the anti-war riots that were going on okay. and the, you know, the kids who had, um, brothers in Vietnam. And so we uh, we had differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got kicked off the newspaper and I went over to the speech team because they had a speaking category, radio news. Okay. So I uh, I ended up, you know, doing radio news broadcasts. Mm -hmm. And and then um, in college, Southern Illinois University, um, there were anti-war riots going on at that time, and I called WLS Radio, which was my, in Chicago, uh, my radio station that had a good news department at that time, and I said, uh, I'm inside the ROTC building, they're trying to burn it down, uh, uh, would you like anything on this? And they said, good, we're rolling. And, <laughs> and, and basically, I um, described what was going on. And then when I left college, um, they remembered me as the kid from SIU. I got hired at uh, WLS Radio in Chicago right out of college okay. uh, to be a news writer and anchor. All right. Now, uh, was this still when, when you were hired and went to Chicago, uh, you were hired by WLS, was this still during the Vietnam War era? Yeah, I mean, we're talking 1971. So okay. yeah, it was kind of right in the middle of when things were happening and uh i i you know i've been tear gassed many times at, uh -oh. at riots um uh, uh -oh. the uh both in college uh and also um you know later in in life as in i was living in chicago and there would be demonstrations and now and then and so i'm i'm certainly used to uh to, to the feeling of, uh, of, of uh, tear gas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and for the listeners who have not experienced that, well, it's very unpleasant. Yes. 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 I mean, Besides the just... coughing and just burning eyes. Um, so I launched my career in radio news and was 
lucky enough to start uh, working for the RKO Radio Network in New York as an anchor, and then went down to Washington, D.C., and became the Washington bureau chief for RKO. Oh. Okay. So I was covering the Reagan administration. Shows mm. you how old I am. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I helped produce the Saturday morning radio addresses uh, in the Oval Office. I was able to travel around the world on the press plane uh, with President Reagan um, to, to just see, you know, the the amazing things that are out there. Wow. Um, so I had the privilege of, you know, being on Capitol Hill, being at the White House, all the things um, that have come up in, you know, the news recently, I was there. So it, yeah. it was great. Yeah. Yeah. You were there. And so did you travel on the press plane with President Reagan for both of his terms? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, one typical trip was uh, Washington, D.C. to L.A., to uh, Honolulu, to Bali, Indonesia, mm. to Tokyo, Japan, to Seoul, South Korea, and then flying back, refueling in Alaska, and then coming <sighs> back to D.C. And that was just one trip, 44 hours in the air. Mm, okay. Well, yes, I, I remember those circuits. Uh, I remember that all of this pre-pandemic, there were a lot of flights that, that went yes. into this. So, and you literally had the opportunity to see the entire world. Yes, during that yes, time. I, I went to Europe, Asia. Um, it was uh, um, South America. I mean, it, it was such a privilege. Um, and, and, you know, the media was a little bit different then. We, we weren't uh, considered the, uh, the enemy. No. Uh, so so <laughs> it, uh, it was a great experience. It was uh, oh. something I always treasure. Uh, that's, that's really wonderful. I, I'm learning a great deal. I didn't know that about you. And what is the, um, the, is there a one place of all of the places that you've visited? Are there one or two that really stand out for you in your mind as memorable or left an impression somehow? Well, the first one I would say is Bali, Indonesia, Bali. which okay. is just a beautiful uh, island. And I, for the first time, really saw the contrast driving from the airport to the palatial, you know, um, uh, offices and buildings and hotels and everything. But on the way, seeing the destitute poverty, seeing mud huts that people were living in, and the contrast between those lives and the lives of people who had money. And I do understand that, you know, uh, the fact that rich people and tourists go to Bali means jobs and money for the economy for the others. Sure. But still, to see that contrast, it was life changing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, now, did you go back to Bali more than once? And no that was just uh just one time uh i've been to so many places uh once but not twice sure um you know the other place that, that pops to mind is ireland I've, I've been there a few times and i just love it i'm part leprechaun myself so the uh um i was able to 
trace my ancestry back to the 1700s. Okay. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, Ireland, just a wonderful, friendly place. That's, that's wonderful. And well, I've, I've never been, but that is what I hear uh, and full of life, mm -hmm. most definitely. Yeah, and I look at the pictures and, and, and I want to go. So you had this opportunity under the Reagan administration to travel on the press plane. And what happened then, since we're, we're going chronologically here, when he, Ronald Reagan left office? Then yeah. Where were you? Well, you know, that's when the first President Bush uh, was sworn in. And mm -hmm. I was at the inauguration and uh, basically everything was going great except the FCC decided at that time uh, in the late 1990s to stop requiring radio stations to carry news and public affairs. Right. I remember. Um, mm -hmm. And within a year, about 80 percent of radio news jobs in America were just gone. Stations stopped carrying news, perhaps in network newscasts, but certainly not local news. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all music all the time became the thing. And it wiped out, you know, most of the jobs in my industry. So I had to find something else to do um, at that time. And that's how I got into audiobooks. Okay. And um, so approximately, this is during the, the first uh, Bush administration, then you yes. got into audiobooks. So for those of you uh, that uh, may not be familiar with the timeline here, that's 1989 to 90 first part of 93 actually yeah, yeah. that's well, what we're looking at which means richard that you've been doing audiobooks literally for decades yes this is very cool okay yeah. so you, how did you start out in the audiobook industry well you know i went to um an audiobook coach uh, sean pratt who happens to be you know he's got a thousand over a thousand books that he's narrated and uh, he said, uh, wow, you've got a great radio voice. Um, we've got to change that, though, because narrating has nothing to do with radio newscasting. Okay. So, so basically, he turned me back into an actor. I'd done some acting in high school and college. And uh, because he said, if you're going to do more than nonfiction, you have to do characters, character mm -hmm. voices. So he helped me with uh, learning about how to do uh, different voices, um, how to go for different genres of audiobooks. Um, you know, if, if you have to be a wizard in an audiobook, how do you find uh, how to do a wizard voice? So I, of course, went to Harry Potter and Ollivander's Wand Shop, and it was like, okay, Harry, so good to see you, Harry. You know, I gave your parents their wands. So I was able to develop all these different voices, you know. I was a cowboy in a, in a ghost story, and it was like, uh, hey, Nell, you're looking really good, especially since you've been dead for 10 years. And, <laughs> you know, uh, everything from playing a little boy in a, a haunted furniture store, um, you know. Did that chair just talk to me? Um, you know, voices from the young age to the old geezers, you know, who talk uh -huh, like right. this. Yeah, you know, uh -huh. grandpa, pappy, the, uh, so plus accents. I mean, right. some books had me do 
Well, the, the most I ever did was 35 different voices in an audiobook. Um, and so, and it was a, mostly on a submarine, a nuclear submarine on a secret mission to China. And, and uh, I was saying, you know, the description in the book said, gruff sounded said gruffly it gruff lots of gruff voices okay. <laughs> and it's like how many you can't do 35 gruff voices so you know um so the irish guy had an irish accent and and, and he was irish american all of us and, mm -hmm. and then you know the uh, the russian guy uh whose, whose name sounded like a russian he had he <laughs> yeah. talked like this and the German guy was up here uh, talking more like a German accent. Mm -hmm. So, so basically, I was able to take all these characters and and separate them, especially when they were talking to each other. Uh, that uh, that's quite the challenge in oh, the okay. audiobook world. Yeah, really interesting, and I'm glad that you shared some of the character voices. Of course, you know I was going to ask you <laughs> to do that. <laughs> now, how many character voices are you able to to master approximately? I mean, what does that look like? Well, I mean, basically, you're not doing an imitation. You are doing um, uh, just a sense, a touch. Especially, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, how do you do female voices when you're the only narrator in a book? And you have to avoid the stereotypes, the, the hi, honey, how are you type of voice and, and just be subtle about it. It really doesn't need to be a huge difference to speak a woman's part as, uh, you know, so, so basically you i listen to recordings if 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 the character reminds me of an actor i will listen to that and uh, come up with my approximation of of that kind of voice um mm -hmm. because you know it it it's amazing how many voices there are out there oh yeah but when people are listening to audiobooks the secret is keeping them in the book, in the words, talking to them, you know, having a conversation with them, telling one person the story. So you, you become a storyteller. And that is the most important thing to remember, that you're not on stage, you know, shouting out your lines, that you are simply taking the words written by an author and, and turning them into um, characters you can delineate um, that are, sound different enough right. so they can follow them. I mean, I know Jim Dale, who uh, Jim did the, uh, the, the Harry Potter series, mm -hmm. and uh, well over uh, 200 different voices in the Harry Potter series, but, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. I love this. Okay. So I'm very intrigued by what you just said. You, you become a storyteller. So what, what can you tell us about that role? There's a lot of depth to that I can tell for you. Yeah, it's writing my own stories and uh, eventually writing a book. Um, I mean, I understand the perspective of the people who put their thoughts into words. And I try to honor uh, the way they 
would present those words in audio. I mean, storytelling is the oldest form of communication. I mean, the, uh, you know, certainly the cavemen uh, probably told stories. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and, and around the campfire is uh, a generational idea that has been passed on uh, again and again. And it's just, you know, taking some uh, unique words and turning them into a story. And I decided that um, once I'd done all the audiobooks and was getting to, you know, be a little bit older, uh, how, what, what could I do to leave a legacy? Um, and that's brought me to children's books. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, would you tell us a little bit more, if you don't mind, about that? It brought you to children's books, and there was a lot of thought that went into that about yeah. wanting to leave a legacy. So, why children's books for you? Well, um, number one, uh, they were part of my life growing up, going back to the library yeah. days, certainly. Yes. And a big influence on me. And then I read stories to my three children, uh, of course, and, you know, could see the excitement um, and the combination of learning how to be an audiobook narrator, learning how to be a storyteller. Once upon a time, there was a fairy who had but one tooth. And this is the story of how she became the Tooth Fairy. Mm. So, you know, using that voice and others, um, I got into narrating children's books. But I noticed there was a gap, uh, Tomas, uh, um, that children's illustrated books don't make good audiobooks because they're missing the images. Um, So so I was thinking, okay, how can we make these wonderful children's illustrated books into audiobooks that make a difference. Right. And so I, you know, started creating these audiobooks with description of the images. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And as and for listeners, this is something that I know that they're they're wondering about because yeah, as adults, we listen to audiobooks, we listen to podcasts, radio shows all of the time. But what about children's books that are so visual dependent? So mm-hmm. you begin with the narration and then what does it look like to describe the images then? How does that combine? Well, it was important for me to do it professionally. Um, mm-hmm. that I wasn't just going to take an idea that I had and start doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a whole world of what's called audio description. These are the people who create the audio description for the blind and low vision people who um, on TV, on movies, in movies, on TV shows, in theaters where they um, basically do uh, an audio track where they come in in between the dialogue and describe the scenes so that those who are blind uh, have access to what's going on. And that was the whole concept of audio description. 
And to actually take that and apply it to children's books means that I have professional audio description writers. Um, they create, they write the descriptions of the pictures that they see. And they love it because it gives them freedom that doesn't exist in the TV and movie world. Sure. Because you're not trying to jam in your your <laughs> what you're saying between dialogue. You have more time to be mm -hmm. more descriptive. Yeah. So and and each audiobook becomes a co-narration between someone who narrates the book and the 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 person who narrates the audio description. So it's a co-narrated uh, audiobook. Okay. And how many years has this been in existence here? It's in well, we've just we just launched it last year. Okay. Uh, uh, imagination uh, video books. And mm -hmm. I call it video books because in addition to the audio, I also add uh, to some of them images from the books so that when parents are showing these books to their children, uh, they can see um, what is going on and also, you know, gives a, a good example of how accurate the description really is. Okay. So I end up doing video and uh, we're doing a YouTube children's channel mm -hmm. uh, to make these available for free. And it is uh, also working with the, um, the ADA the, um, and the people at the Council for the Blind, who um, the Audio Description Association, and the, uh, uh, they have a project that lists all of the TV shows and movies that have audio description, and they've agreed to add my books to the descriptions okay. oh, so that the blind community can have access to them and find them because otherwise you know there's so much out there that they'd never never really be able to to track them down and my goal is to do 200 uh, of these audiobooks this year so in effect i'm a small publisher okay um, all right I love this. All right. Yeah. And then you just started. So this is something yeah. that's, that's very, very interesting uh, just because people have, this is a, you know, when we were talking before you mentioned that this was basically unserved and uncharted territory. Now, is yes. it still the case or? or... Yeah, it really is. Okay. Um, I am, I'm pushing audible to carry uh, audiobooks with description. Okay. I am, uh, you know, really uh, trying to be active in the blind community to let them know that this exists. And my connection to the blind community is not that someone in my family was blind. I was a guide for blind skiers, a ski guide. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. And, and hmm. uh, got into the community that way and was actually a racing instructor for blind skiers, believe it or not. All right. That's pretty rare. Uh, I, I took uh, some of the blind skiers around the gates, down the slope, you know, skiing right behind them, left, right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so um, that's how I uh, ended up with many, uh, many blind and, and low vision friends. And I say low vision because um, there are not that many people who are totally blind okay, uh, compared right. to those who have uh, vision issues <laughs> and even dyslexic uh, who have trouble reading. Uh, sure. This is, a, this is something that works for them. 
Um, so that's really um, how I decided that, you know, the blind community could be served in this way. Okay. Yeah, it most certainly can. And the image of you giving ski instruction, I, I'm conjuring up a, a slalom course in my yeah. mind, a left, right, left, right, left, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, giant slalom. Uh, not giant the, slalom. Not, okay. not where the gates are close together, uh, basically. Okay. Yeah, but it, it really helped my skiing because you don't want your, your guide to fall down. Uh, behind you, so, no. <laughs> so, so I learned how to ski very well by you oh, know nice. being the pressure of of having to ski right behind uh, one of the blind skiers, and I was proud because one of the blind skiers that I instructed ended up going to uh, Winter Park in Colorado for the national uh, competition. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, she was uh, she was an excellent skier, and that's how I got into combining, um, you know, th something that serves the blind community with the audiobook community because blind and low vision children, uh, they will love audiobooks when they get to the age where it makes sense to them. Sure. Um, and before that time, there are 350,000 children in America under the age of eight that are blind or low vision. Yeah. And I am giving them access to something they don't have unless their parents read to them and describe the pictures. This way they can, they will know what sighted people are seeing because we're describing the images along with the story. Okay, I love this three hundred fifty thousand, and that is that equates to a number of, of grateful parents. So, have you received a lot of positive feedback from those parents? I've received a lot of positive feedback from both parents and the narrators. Um, I, I I have uh, uh, over fifty professional narrators who have volunteered their services to okay. help me with this project. And um, five of them are blind or low vision themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they are, you know, narrating these books. And I had a conversation a short time ago with one of the female narrators who burst into tears. And she said, okay. I would have loved to have something like this when I was growing up. Um, yes. And that's how I know I'm on the right path. Okay. I love it. Yeah. This is wonderful. Now, are you still a ski instructor? Uh, no, I've, <laughs> I've, I've slowed down a bit. Uh, you know, I, I used to ski to staying alive, staying alive. Now uh -huh. I ski to sing in the rain, mm. just sing. <laughs> so it's, I'm, you know, I'm at the age, I'm almost 70. Uh, okay. so I, um, uh, I get discounts, which is great, well, but the, uh, uh, I'm in the over the hill ski club, uh, mm. at the moment. And, uh, and, and when I turn 70, I qualify for the one ski pole in the grave ski pole, uh, ski group. Oh, uh, we, <laughs> yeah, so they have a skeleton climbing out of a grave with ski poles. Uh, so, so, yeah. Well, at least if the skeleton's going to go, if you're listening, yes. you're a skier. <laughs> Richard's joining us from Colorado. So there must be yes. a lot of ski clubs. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. there are. And uh, so I'm, I'm still out there on the slopes. 
All right. I love that. Okay. Well, then, you know, how would people get a hold of you to find out more information about your work or about Imagination Video Books? Well, imaginationvideobooks.org is the website. Uh, it is a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, that's where you find out information uh, about the project and also see samples of what we are doing and have the opportunity to donate to uh, support us because it costs roughly 400 to $500 per audiobook production. Okay. So we are, you know, raising funds to create more of these books and part of uh, if someone donates um, $50 or more, they are mentioned as a sponsor of a particular audiobook, okay. you know, brought to you by this person oh, you know, through the donation of. So it becomes, you know, their name is prominent in, in, in the audiobook as well as in the description of the audiobook. So that's how, you know, we're able to give back a little. Okay. Well, this is wonderful. And then the website, again, imaginationvideobooks.org. Um, That's right. That's right. right. And uh, Richard at imaginationvideobooks.org is my email. If someone wants to find out more information about what we're doing, um, I'm happy to to do that. Uh, Talk to potential narrators for these children's books because there are... um, there's just some wonderful kids books out there and I am, you know, talking to uh, some publishers to see if I can get access to their entire libraries uh, to start doing these, um, the classic books, you know, beautiful (laughs) where the wild things are and things like that, you know, to get the rights to do this audio with audio description version. Okay, I love that. Let the wild rumpus start. Everybody remember that? <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> love it. Well, and, and how many, um, a couple of quick questions here. How many sure. books have you all done with Imagination Video Books at this point? Um, we're, we're, we're just starting out. We have about 25 we've done and another 20 in production. Okay. Um, and like I said, the goal is 200 by the end of 2021. And we can do that. I mean, that is, um, I know it's for uh, a week to produce, but uh, with the people I'm working with, um, uh, you know, we can really generate these really quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I want to do is build a presence on Audible, a presence on YouTube, oh, a presence uh, so that people will know that these exist and and really encourage others to get into audio description because it is such a a wonderful industry that is way behind the closed captioning for the deaf industry um you know the the blind community is totally underserved as far as the number of movies and and tv shows that have the audio description track built in Mm -hmm. that's changing but we are right on the cusp of making this part of the consciousness that this exists audio description exists that's beautiful yeah it's beautiful and to serve such a large and underserved market has to be a lot of fun for you 
Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, working for kids and, and I, I still narrate some of these books myself mm -hmm. or do the audio description for them. And also my daughter, uh, Erin, oh, okay. who is 23. Um, she is a professional narrator now too, oh, uh, works right. for some of the big publishers and she's a voice on it. So it's a family project. Okay. Well, that's, that's a lot of fun. And you're always looking for additional narrators and voices, correct? Yes, yes. And uh, when I say professional, I mean, you know, people who have um, at least a setup in their home that's a professional, you know, podcasters, that type right. of thing, mm -hmm. uh, it's professional setup um, that have, you know, hopefully some experience. But I have seen some speakers uh, that I immediately went, oh, she'd be great narrating mm -hmm. a book right. and, uh, and approach them. Um, so those are the resources. Um, I find the audio description writers and, you know, and I ha have editors, audio editors who put everything together. Okay. So, you know, th that's, it's not a complicated project, but it is something that has a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. And sure. Sure. what my plan is, is to leave this, I use the word legacy, um, as you know, an inspiration, a continuing nonprofit to create these and be the resource for children's books with audio description. Okay. Uh, the go-to. I love this. Yeah. All right. Well, and for those of you listening here, uh, you just heard Richard say that you don't have to have a lot of experience if you have the equipment and the the desire to contribute in this way, re please reach out to Richard, Richard at imaginationvideobooks.org. And right. also it's the website imaginationvideobooks.org. And if you'd like to make a donation in, in any amount to sponsor an audiobook for children. This is a wonderful project. And Richard, I've learned a great deal about it and audiobooks and about you. And before we wrap up here, anything else that you would like to add for the listeners today? It's really important, especially now with the pandemic and everything that has happened, uh, for parents to read to their children. Ah, yeah. That is a way of getting them interested in books, of creating a, a, a feeling of, wow, um, reading is great. Um, you know, books are wonderful. So the more parents who can read to their children, the better off we all are in the future. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And if you have kids and you're listening, read, read to them. And if you don't have kids, read to yourself as well. Yes. Because it is fun. It is fun. And nieces and nephews and uh, grandchildren. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> read to anyone. <laughs> I love this. Yes. Wonderful. Well, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here today. I, I really appreciate your sharing not only your radio voice, and you do have a radio voice, but also the voices of characters. I think this has been really wonderful. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Tomas. Appreciate it. And this has been Richard Riemann here on Decide to Transform and read to your children. And if you don't have children, read to anyone and yourself. All right, everyone, thank you so much 
for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day wherever you are. <laughs>